Welcome to the Southland Podcast, a resource produced by Southland Christian Ministries located in Ringgold, Louisiana. We trust that this podcast will encourage and equip you in your walk with God. get started. We're um, going to continue in 1 Peter, which was written to who? Strangers who are scattered. Scattered strangers. Why are they scattered? That's right. From who? That's right. Ah, she had it first. Nero. Um, and they had lost a lost. A, was it? Were you first? I don't know. I didn't hear it. Okay. Okay. I don't want to get credit as do here. It is a competition. Everything's a competition. And uh, Peter was challenging them, really comforting them, and encouraging them with some um, uh, very powerful illustrations and word pictures that were explaining to them some of the. Uh, uh, positives of this. And so if you look down, he tells them in verse number three to praise the Lord for some things. And that's what we have been looking at. We, um, this is verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then we talked about being born again, the new birth that we have in Christ to this verse four, an inheritance that's incorruptible and Defile and that faith not away. And the encouragement that comes through all of this is that even though they had lost everything temporarily or physical or earthly, the Lord had given to them a much greater reward, a much greater inheritance, a much greater um, reward for uh, their faith in Him. It takes a lot of faith to see past those trials, doesn't it? And so what we're going to do is we're going to jump in uh, to verses 6 through 9, and we're going to look at the attitude that we can have through this. Now, what we've been looking at in the previous weeks has really been um, reasons to praise the Lord for this, okay? And so kind of looking to God for what He has done and praising Him, blessed be the God for these things. And then now he's going to challenge them on their disposition, their, their actual attitude going through these trials. And the attitude that he starts out with is not one that's natural, but it's one that you have already seen because we have Scripture. You have Philippians. You have James. What is the disposition that we're supposed to have in trials? Rejoicing in trials, right? That is not what the world sees. Now, Try to eliminate from your mind what you know from Philippians and from James and from Peter. Let's just say this is first century Christians having a really bad day. Your house is gone. Your lands are gone. You've been relocated. You're now uh, pilgrims and strangers in a foreign place. And it's discouraging. You're, you've lost everything. You have no place to sleep at night that's your own. You're um, now at the mercy of other believers. And so he says in verse number six, right? Wherein ye greatly, what? Rejoice. Though now, and here's the caveat, for a season, 
if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, that's something that he's already alluded to them back in verse number five, uh, being revealed in the last time. But he says <clears throat> concerning Christ, verse number eight, whom having not seen ye, what? Love. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice. In other words, you don't see him now, but you believe. You don't see, but you believe, not by sight, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Same, same idea there. You rejoice. How do you rejoice? Well, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now, this is, um, I think sometimes on paper, it's, it's, it's easier to talk about intellectually and academically. Like, okay, going through a hard time. I need to have an attitude of, of, of joy and rejoicing. The rubber uh, meets, the, meets the road uh, when we're in it, right? That's when the rubber really meets the, the road. Um, but this is not Peter just saying these things, you know, without having experienced some difficult things himself. And he's even reiterating some of the things that Paul has encouraged. Now what we know from the Philippians and from James. And in Philippians 1, he says this, But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me, and here he is where? In Philippians, Philippi. He's in jail. He says, The things that have happened unto me, and I would categorize that as troubling times, <laughs> all right, have fallen out rather for the furtherance of the gospel, so that in my bonds, Christ is manifest in all the palace and all the places. In other words, God has used the persecution that Paul experienced to, to further the gospel and actually magnify the name of Christ in the whole region, even in the palace. In other words, kings are hearing about Christ because of this. <clears throat> and that's why he says in chapter 3 of Philippians, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Or in chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And that's why he told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11, in labors abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Paul could go through what he had gone through. And he says in verse 24, he says, of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, saved one. Right? I meaning. They weren't allowed to go beyond 40, so they would do 39 just in case they miscounted, right? But, I mean, can you imagine getting 39 swats as a kid getting whooped? Like, that would be excessive, right? But can you, <laughs> Luke, never mind. But can you imagine what these stripes would have been like? Just one session of 39, 40 swats. Can you imagine the pain? Most people would have turned and ran from their faith. And he had received that five times. He says, thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered, uh, suffered shipwreck. A night and day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, wilderness, sea, false brethren, weariness, painfulness, watchings offer, hunger, thirst, fastings, cold and nakedness. It's kind of like, you may have it bad. And you know, you don't, don't you hate it sometimes when you're trying to give your woes to somebody and they're like, 
oh yeah, you think that's a big deal? Guess what? We used to have to walk uphill in our bare feet in the snow, you know? No matter how bad you have it, we had it worse. It's just so annoying when people do it. I do it to people all the time. Sorry, right? Really, Paul's taking away excuses. Um, and I feel like our flesh creates excuses. It creates, well, it's different now. Um, it's not the same. And the reality is, take away all the excuses. You really have no excuse to not keep your focus on the Lord, no matter what you're going through. Fight the urge to create an excuse to justify the attitude, right? A carnal response or a carnal attitude to anything is wrong. There's no excuse for it, right? You don't get a buy to be grumpy because your roommate woke you up early or whatever. Fill in the blank. It does not matter, all right? You can't be discontent with your lot in life. You, you have to resist the urge to throw out excuses why you can't have. And so as, as Paul reads, writes down those things to the Corinthians, and here I am finding myself in Peter, and he's telling them, wherein you greatly rejoice, how are we supposed to do this? That's so challenging, right? Um, James in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 writes this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes... Um, of course, Peter is saying to the strangers which are scattered abroad. Uh, Christ, uh, James says to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greeting. So he says the same thing. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or trials or troubling times, knowing this, that the trial of your faith worketh patience. So let patience have a perfect work, that you might be perfect or mature entire, wanting nothing. So he's telling them the same idea. Hey, rejoice. But then he kind of gives you a couple whys, all right? Here's what's going to take place in that. And that is that this trying of your faith is actually going to work out something in your life. And so you have to recognize that what you're going through is, is God doing something with your sanctification process. He has said that I have begun this good work in you, and I'm going to perform that up until the day of Jesus Christ, Right? This is a process of the old man getting put away. This is the process of the old man dying to itself and to its flesh and new things becoming happening to you. And he says that you're going to be mature, perfect, and entire, lacking in nothing. You know, I think sometimes we like to go to old people, sage people, wise, and we like to ask them advice, right? Do you like that comfort to know that there's old people out there that you can go talk to? Hey, what would you do in this situation? And they, you know, might kind of sit back for a moment and contemplate on their life of experience. And from their maturity, be able to give to you advice that is parallel with Scripture. Don't you want to do that? Well, the part of that process sometimes is the trial of your faith, which works patience and endurance and works that out in you. And then later in chapter 5, <clears throat> James says, Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction. 
and of patience. So he's saying, look back in Scripture at the prophets of the old times who actually um, suffered persecution because of their um, preaching the word. Can you guys think of any illustrations like that? Old Testament prophets who had a rough time. Elijah. Elijah, right? Him and Ahab weren't super good buddies. What else? Who else? Ezekiel. Ezekiel? Jeremiah? I mean, you can kind of go through, and, and James is telling us those guys are examples. What are examples? What are examples? What are illustrations? That picture of what to follow or what not to follow. Right. Yeah, you can be good examples or they can be bad examples. But the point is <clears throat> that there's a pattern that we're supposed to look at and value. <clears throat> if, if you were a scientist and you were doing research on the repetitive nature of reproducing science, okay, you don't give casual glances when you're looking for advancement. You're really putting a lot of effort into studying the nuances of those examples so that they can be recreated. And the point is, these Old Testaments who are examples of suffering, affliction, and of patience. So he says in verse 11, Behold, we count them happy, which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job, James says. You're like, oh, he went there. Can't beat that one. And you have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Peter calls it abundant mercy, if you remember back from last couple weeks in verse number three. So Job, he lost his family, his wealth, his health, right? He's an example. Can we not look at the life of Job here as an illustration of what this looks like? Verse 22 of Job chapter one, verses 20 and 22, it says, Job arose and he rent his mantle, he shaved his head, and he fell down upon the ground and worshiped. This is right after this disaster struck. He worshiped. And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. That's an illustration. That's an example that we are given from Scripture on how to look at the providential hand of God in trials, right? So much so, later in life, okay, in Job 23, before things turned around, he says this in verse number 14, and we're going to look at this in a couple weeks on Sunday night. It says, for he performeth the thing that is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. So God is performing things that are pre-appointed. Appointment is something that is set up ahead of time, right? Is that truth universal? That God will perform in you the things that are appointed for you, right? That's truth. That's universal truth. So when you're going through something, can you look at that thing and say, this is an appointment for me. This is my appointment, Absolutely. And who's at work there? God is performing in that disappointment for me, right? <clears throat> we could look at many current illustrations of people who are going through very difficult times, right? The loss of a loved one or a, or a child, family member. Those are difficult times for people to go through. 
But we want to increase our faith so that we can rejoice in troubling times. The world's not going to do that. When you one day experience, and some of you may be experiencing now on different levels, um, traumatic, gut-wrenching grief, how can we prepare ourselves for that scripturally and be ready with our disposition in troubled times? So number one, what I'd like to look at is rejoicing in perspective. Perspective really helps when we're going through difficult times. And so one of which is a reviewing back, verses 3 through 5. Rejoicing is based upon what God has done, right? So my perspective needs to look back a little bit to see what God has done. And we already looked a couple weeks ago at the merciful new birth that we have in Christ. We look back at the living hope that we have. We look back at the eternal inheritance that we have for the protection. We are kept by the power of God. So we're number one in rejoicing in perspective. It's rejoicing back on what God has done. And then also rejoicing is not based upon our circumstances, the world tells you that you respond emotionally to this, this, the circumstances that you're placed in. You're at a birthday party, you're happy. You're at a funeral, you're sad, right? That's what the world teaches you to respond. <coughs> Rejoicing is not based upon our circumstances. Look down in verse number six. He says this, all right? Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now, what? For a season. Trials are for a season. Trials are temporary. You're like, well, what if this trial takes me up to my death? Still temporary. <laughs> because your life on this earth is just so short compared to eternity. It's for a season. It's a brief, small duration. You could say a puny amount of time. You say, well, that seems, what if it's a year? Think about eternity, right? It's a small amount of time. Paul tells the Corinthians in chapter 4, verses 17 through 18, this way, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Nobody in the dark trial would ever label that as light affliction, right? Our tendency is to say, my affliction is bigger than yours, <laughs> right? You have a light affliction. I have a heavy affliction. Paul says, your light affliction is but for a moment. And it worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. And he says this, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What is he trying to get them to think about? Perspective, right? What you're going through feels so massive, but it's temporary. Even if it lasts till you die. Let's look outside of the realms of this cosmos and your beating heart, okay, that you may get another 60 or 70 years if God wills, but you might not get tomorrow, okay? It's but for a moment. We look at it from the perspective of time and mortality, right? God's view comes from eternity past to eternity future. Can you imagine his perspective on time and a human on this earth in this century, in this decade, struggling with a trial. Can he not inspire a writer to say, it's momentary, it's just temporary. Just trust me, just trust me. 
See, the music fits that. It's great. Good job. <laughs> okay, so they're temporary, and then also trials come if you need them. Look down at verse number six. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, what? If need be, if needed, if circumstances and God's greater plan orchestrated that way for what he's trying to accomplish. I had a appendicitis when I was 12 years old and had to have an appendix removed. Nobody would say that getting cut with a knife and having part of your body removed is fun or necessary. But if you don't remove it, it will explode. That's what they told me. You know, as a 12 year old, it's going to explode like a bomb, like a nuclear bomb in my body. You know, they could have said rupture. I think that would have been a safer term to tell a 12 year old. Right? Or if you've ever had your wisdom teeth removed, right? Sometimes it's pain is necessary for a greater good. Now, those are temporary um, illustrations. But Doc Thomas lost his foot because he had something on his foot that was going to kill him. So it was necessary for that to be removed. And sometimes it's for our own learning of obedience. Christ, it was is told of Christ in Hebrews 5, that though he was a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. How could Christ learn obedience? Hebrews 12 says, for whom the Lord loves, he what? Chastens and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God deal with you as with sons. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. John chapter 16, verse 33 says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you might have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The Lord is doing different things all across the world, from chastising people, from teaching them obedience, to um, challenging the world on their faith. He's doing things as a smorgasbord across the world for His kingdom, for His purpose. And it just might be that you going through what you're going through is needful for Him to accomplish what He's trying to accomplish. What a glory that we can be a vessel for God's greater purposes, right? Would God choose to use me in any way for his kingdom work, even if it means suffering? I should count that as glory. Now, we mostly would be like, you know, it would be really cool if God would just really bless me so that he could use me for his kingdom, that I could just use all this money for him. But what if God wants to use a trial in your life for him? He's got just as much right to do that. It's easier to give God the praise when it's positive. It's a lot harder when it's negative. Those are hard, hard thoughts to process. Not only should we maintain this as a matter of perspective in the sense that they might be temporary or that they might be needful, but we also have to keep in mind that they could very well be diverse. He says, if need be, you're in heaviness through what kind of temptations or trials? Manifold. The idea here is various in color. It's a rainbow of possibilities. It's not like there is one negative pill that all Christians may or may not have to take, right? It could be diverse. James says it that way. My brother, count it joy when you fall into diverse, manifold, multiple sides. 
temptations. It's interesting that Peter will actually use the same word in chapter 4 to refer to God's grace, the manifold grace of God. Guess what? God's grace is just as diverse and colorful as trials can be, right? So that his grace matches those trials, right? He says, my grace is sufficient for you. The Holy Spirit allows the, Paul to pen that. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 13 says this, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. And he is telling them, look, you are partaking with Christ. You know our camps first, right? That I may know him. What? The fellowship of his what? There's some camaraderie there. There's some arm in arm as we, and really we have been so cushioned from spiritual persecution in America that this seems like a distant experience. And it might not always be so distant, right? The world is becoming increasingly antagonistic to God's people. Loss of death of a job, death in a family, cancer, financial, relationships, sin, the list can go on and on. And you are in what, verse 6, as a result of it? Heaviness. That can be an overwhelming cloud of discouragement. So perspective really helps, doesn't it? To just recognize that we can look back at all that God has done and we can really contemplate the fact that this is temporary. It may be needful. It's going to be diverse and all these different things. As we go through these trials, it's necessary that we understand the perspective of this. So rejoicing in perspective, number one. Number two, rejoicing in purpose. Rejoicing in purpose. Okay, look what it says down in verse number seven. So that, why? So that, he says, the trial of your faith being what? Much more precious than gold. This trial is actually valuable for you. And the only thing that's temporary that we can grasp anything of value is this concept of gold. Like whenever you think of what's valuable, you know, on the monetary scale, gold's at the top. It always has been and still is to this day. Gold, more than gold. Peter is saying gold, which is so precious, stands the test of fire, but does not stand the test of eternity. Therefore, proven faith is actually what? Look down at verse number seven. More precious than gold. That's a quote from another pastor. It's valuable. That's one of the purposes that it is for us to remember. It also proves my faith. Okay? Um, it says that the trial of your faith, your, your faith is actually on trial. You ever thought of it like that? Look down at verse number seven. That the what of your faith? Who puts that on trial? The Lord. This is a trial. This is a testing of your faith. It 
It's an experiment or a test. Here's a test for you. We, uh, I used to uh, buff brass for a living. That's how I got paid my way through college. I would refurbish old brass candlesticks, doorknobs, push-pull plates, fireplaces, offering plates, spittoons. I mean, you name it. If it was brass, I cleaned it and I shined it up. I mean, I would get it. It would come in sometimes brown with corrosion, and I would have to take it back and put it on this um, ginormous cotton wheel that had um, a, a coarse side and a fine side. And they had to take all that corrosion off. And I would put this red uh, resin on that wheel and that they, they called it rouge. Okay. The same stuff I think that lady's put on her face. Okay. But it was um, very red. I would come home and my face would just be red. My hair would be red. I'd have to wear a dust mask. And, you know, if I take a shower, the whole floor in the shower would be the same color red. It was just, I'm probably going to die from cancer from that stuff. Okay. But anyway, that's what I did. And that stuff was so. Uh, the, the rouge would put an abrasive substance between the metal and that wheel to clean off that corrosion. Very powerful. You could do steel with it. You could do copper with it. I would do like an old rusty, uh, not rusty, copper doesn't rust, a corroded copper pipe and just shine it up to where it was this beautiful red tint and that would make kind of cool stuff with it. I really enjoyed that. The, the different colors of uh, metal, there's brass called red brass, which has a little bit more copper than zinc. So brass is a mixture of copper and zinc. So if you get more zinc, it's more white. If you get more copper, it's more red. There's beautiful tones to that. You're like, I could care less. Well, if, if I take brass plated items, so some people says, I've got this thing and it's brass plated. All right, if I took that and I stuck it on the wheel, it would peel that brass plate right off and it would be useless. Usually it would be nickel underneath and it would be silver. So they bring in this little candlestick from their great, 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 great grandmother and it was brass colored and then they come back and it's white. <laughs> it's not actually brass, okay? So what I would do is I would take a magnet and I would test all the pieces before I would put it on the wheel. And this would tell me whether it was genuine brass or whether it was brass plated. And I would do that before the customer would drop it off. They come in with this antique thing that's worth a lot of money and I'll take that magnet and stick it on there and go, actually, <laughs> it's not real brass. So we can, you know, it's not probably worth you refinishing it. And if we do, it won't be as shiny as buff brass. We'll have to use a hand cleaner. The only exception to that was antique brass beds. An antique brass bed would have been a steel frame that they actually brass, wrapped in sheet brass. So sheet brass was not brass plated. A brass plate would really take the steel and they would dunk it in brass. It would be a very, very paper thin coating. And so you would have to know the difference between wrapped brass, which still had steel underneath, and brass plated. And there was other tests to find that out. But the point of that being is it's very easy to disguise the true nature of stuff. And it was the the cauldron of that refinishing room that would reveal something either beautiful or garbage. We would take that item. The first thing would happen, it would go in this big chemical vat that would pull off any coating. And then that coating sometimes alone would reveal that that was not real brass. But the point of the matter is sometimes Putting people through these difficult times will separate God's people from lost people.
It will separate you from you knowing that you are truly God's child or submitted to him or reveal the flaws in your own flesh that shows you where your perspective is. It shows you where your heart is and it will test you and push you in the right direction. The trial of your faith worketh patience. Stephen Cole was quoted as saying this, Thus the purpose of trials is to refine our faith. The perspective we need in our trials is that they are temporary, necessary, and under God's control. Right? Sometimes in John chapter 6, it talks about um, when Christ's followers faced hard times. It says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. John chapter 6 is when they had been the feeding of the 5,000, and then they were challenged on their motive for him. And there were people who were disciples that when faced with any kind of consternation, they decided, oh, this is not for me. Discipleship's not for me. This is too hard. Okay. James 1 again says, the trying of your faith works patience. Let it have its work. The parable of the word in Mark chapter 4, you remember how the seed is sown out and some falls on good ground and some falls on the side and some of it springs up in the rocks. But when trials come, when difficult times come, what does that do? It just withers. It revealed its root system, right? This is the concept here. You know the song, How Firm a Foundation? One line goes this, The flame will not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. If there's gold in there, the Lord can bring it out to the surface, right? The dross gets purged away. George Mueller writes this, The Lord gives faith for the very purpose of trying it for the glory of his own name and for the good of him who has it. And by the very trial of our faith, we not only obtain blessing to our own souls by becoming the better acquainted with God, if we hold fast our confidence in him, but our faith is also by the exercise strengthened. And so it comes that if we walk with God in any measure of uprightness of heart, the trials of faith will be greater and greater. So what he's saying is God utilizes these things to increase our walk, increase our faith, and push him to push us to him. So this, people either leave God or cling to God in a trial. Either way, their true character is revealed. Think about that. You will either leave God or cling to God. And I've seen this over and over with people that I sat in classrooms just like this with. That when life gets tough, they are done with God. And they spit on the name of Christian people for being so manipulative of them. They will either cling to God or leave God. And this is done for what purpose, he says. Look down at verse number 7. Tried with fire might be found unto praise and honor in what? glory. This is for whose glory? This is for God's glory. We might be found in a praise and honor and glory. Christ says this in John 15, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, 
they will also persecute you. And all these things they will do unto you for my name's sake. This is for Christ. This is for my perfection, for my presentation of Christ at his appearing. Look what it says, at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about that, that reunion of the bride of Christ, right? This strengthens our faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. These trials are divine in origin, right? Who do they come from? We've been studying that in on the providence at, at church. Some of those verses are this in Psalm 56, 8, Thou tellest my wanderings, put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? In other words, are not my grief and my tears and my trials recorded in your book? Remember what Job says, these are appointed for me. Psalm 139, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned. In other words, I am of you. This reminds us of God's control of our physical beings on a molecular level. And the point of all of that is this. Look down in verse number seven and eight. Whom having not seen, you what? You love. love. In whom though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable. So that, verse nine, we can be receiving the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. In other words, look beyond, look to the end. What did Paul say? Forget the things which are behind, reaching unto the things which are before. The end of your faith, that's the goal. Keep your mind and your eyes fixed on that. Don't get focused on this little trial. This is just part of the process that works it out for God's glory. With joy unspeakable. This culminates in the appearance of Christ. Colossians chapter 3 verse 4 says this, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then ye shall also appear with him in glory. Right? For 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but all them that love his appearing. In other words, all the people that have looked beyond the suffering and looked for that day of Christ's return. Right? Romans 8, 17, And if children than heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Basically what he's saying, and this is Paul, who has really gone through everything that we've never experienced. He can say, I reckon that the things that we're going, they're going to they're gonna just not even compare with the glory that's coming. All of you are willing to subject yourself to something, deny something for something, right? Whether it be to go sweat out in the sun, like you, you and Scott are mopping the floor at the Dollar General. You're doing that for no, like, it's not like you're, get, you're not getting paid, right? You're, you're willing to do that for money. You're willing to do, people are willing to do crazy things for money, right? They'll, they'll work third shift. You know how useful I would be on third shift? He's sleeping again. <laughs> People do weird things for money. They'll undergo college. 
Can you believe that? Why would you do that? No, I'm kidding. It's a great idea. Okay. The point of all of this is that this thing that we're going through is not the big deal. The, the, the big deal is the end. That the trial of your faith worketh patience and endurance. Keep your eyes on Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your work in our lives. We do pray that whatever trial, temptation, persecution, difficult times, calamity that we go through, we do pray that we would keep our eyes fixed on you, that you would strengthen our faith, that you would motivate us to love you and love your appearing. Help us to recognize that this is temporary and that the glories to come will greatly outshine the struggles of these temporary things. We pray for grace in these things, in Christ's name, amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Southland Podcast. It is our prayer that you would know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you have never experienced salvation through Christ alone, would you please reach out to us? You can contact us through our website at www.southlandcamp.org or call our camp office at 318-894-9154. See you next time on the Southland Podcast.